Welcome to No Picks After Dark, Baltimore Sun's best podcast of 2020, voted by you, the listeners. No Picks After Dark seeks to build a community based on human experience, storytelling, and conversation. Now your host, Aaron Dante. Welcome to No Picks After Dark Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Dante. Today, we have a very, very special guest. It is an honor and pleasure to have this person on my show. I'm going to give you some background real quick. As so many accolades, I'm just going to give you a couple of them. An Associate Professor of Communication and African American Studies at Loyola University, Maryland. Uh, she's an award-winning author of Notes from a Color Girl, The Civil War Pocket Diaries of Amelia Francis Davis. Baltimore Sun, Best of Baltimore radio show host. Essence Magazine, Woke 100 Women. Daily Record, Daily, sorry, Daily Radio Show, WAE 88.9. The Daily Record of Maryland Top 100 Women. And many more accolades. Today, I have the one and only Dr. K. Whitehead. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm doing well, thank you. My show uh, today with Dr. K comes on WEAA on Oops. 88.9 FM. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. But I, uh, she has so many accolades. I'm, I'm so happy that she's on the show. And she's, uh, we're live, we live in the same neighborhood. And if anything goes on, like in Baltimore City or even national, you can find her on the local TV station. I saw her on BC, was it BBC the other day. You were on there. They interviewed you. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, she's world renowned, folks. So for her to get, for me to get her on the show, I'm just an honor and pleasure to have you on here. So thank you so much. Um, thank you. Give the audience a little bit of background about you. Are you originally from Baltimore? No, I am originally from South Carolina. I grew up between South Carolina and Washington, D.C. I moved down to Baltimore from New York, which is where I met my husband. And we wanted to be closer to family, but we were also really um, impressed by the Baltimore of our childhood as the place that people came to to go to the harbor. And we thought it would be a good starting place as we were building our, our then very, very young family. Nice, nice. Now, so you say you love Baltimore. Um, how'd you like, so tell us a bit back about, about, you know, your studies, like learning and whatnot, as far as education wise. I mean, you, uh, you're, I see yourself, you have a social justice platform. Um, and I tell the audience a little bit about that. I mean, I listen to your show and I love your show. And I just want to, you know, get people, get that plug also with that. Oh, so I do a lot of work in social justice and my radio show is the platform that I use to be able to bring up some of the issues that we're being faced with. So if it's around race or social movements, it's around justice and the ways in which we push for change, uh, that is the work that I do. But, but I also write a column, uh, a biweekly column for the Afro. And it's called Conversations with Dr. K. And I use that column to struggle with some of the issues that, that we're dealing with. Even though it feels like the world is in this new moment, for some of us, we've been writing and talking and thinking about this for years. And so we're excited that we're seeing the type of mass movement happening around the world 
world, but also the major push to bring about some long-standing changes in the areas of social justice and reform in the area of equality uh, and in the ways in which we are being educated about the issues that African-American people in this country have been going through for quite a long time. How do we change this trajectory of what it means to be black in America? So there is a level of sustained effort to the changes, that this is not, as people often say, this is not a, a moment, it's a movement, uh, which is a great slogan, which is a great song line, but it's also something that speaks to where we want to be. Now, you, I follow you, I follow you a lot on uh, social media and um, on Twitter, and you had something that was very touching that made me cry. Uh, you talked about your, your father and you talked about your family down south, and it was about COVID. And could you just give a little brief story about what happened with the with the funeral situation with your dad and his friends and whatnot? Oh, so early on when we were all still trying to understand COVID-19 and we were looking at the ways in which it was impacting us, um, my dad, uh, there was a death in our family, one of my dad's cousins. So a family member of mine as well, not a close family member. And my dad wanted to attend the funeral. In the early days of COVID, they had not yet made the decision to shut everything down. They had made the decision that maybe funerals were not a good place to go, but I was concerned about my father being around a large number of people and the idea that he might be impacted by COVID-19. So I contacted my mother when I found out. It was a very long discussion with my parents and it resulted in me, I was crying, I was pleading with my mom to do everything she could to stop my dad from attending this funeral. I even asked her uh, to take his keys if that's what it would come to, because I was concerned that if he went to this funeral, then he would be impacted. He decided not to go. My dad's a grown man, of course. So he made the decision on his own after, I hope, hearing our pleas and our concern. But, but in the aftermath of that, uh, there were 50 people or so at the funeral. About half of them ended up having some type of COVID symptoms. Uh, six of them ended up going in the hospital. Uh, four of them died. And so knowing that my father could have been in that environment was overwhelming to me. And I, I shared it on Twitter because yeah. I was concerned. I was concerned that people were not taking COVID-19 very seriously. And this was just a clear example of what could happen. What eventually began to happen across the United States, of course, they deemed these environments as super spreading environments because you were in close contact with people, you were hugging, uh, you were grieving. And so I am thankful that my father did not go. I'm thankful that the story that could have been mine was not. And I will note that my father as a bishop and pastor informed me in a lot of ways. He said, I'm not afraid of COVID-19. He is a Vietnam War era veteran. Uh, he is someone who worked during the civil rights movement as an activist. He's a pa pastor and a bishop. And I explained to him, as I've said throughout this entire time of COVID-19, that beating COVID is not about being brave. It's about being smart. 
And so in telling my father, I just need you to make smart decisions because that is how we beat COVID. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that personal story about that. And and just, you know, I listened to your show and you had something that was, they hit home too. And it happened to my family, unfortunately. You you said, you saw that we weren't taken as seriously as a, as a community, as African-Americans. We thought COVID couldn't touch us. And I've seen now three people in my family that has have contracted COVID. Luckily, they're alive to talk about it. But you really harped on that back on your show a lot about how a lot of us didn't think that COVID touched Black people, that we were immune to it. Well, it's interesting because when COVID first came out, there was, I don't know if it was a tweet or a meme where a Black woman said that because of slavery, God was sparing us from COVID-19. Mm. And that tweet went viral and everybody thought it was great. But what it began to foster in people, particularly if you couple that with the fact that in the beginning, we only saw white people kind of becoming COVID positive, there was a sense that maybe it would not impact us. And I did not believe that to be true. And of course, now in, in the later analysis, not only has it fundamentally impacted our community, we're dying at a disproportionately higher rate. Black women are more likely to catch COVID-19 and Black men are more likely to die from it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just sharing that information. I really appreciate that. Um, so social justice going on. A lot of things going on in the world. We got a Black Lives Matters paintings in Patterson Park. We got one in D.C. We got defund the police in downtown Baltimore. We got a lot of things going on. So why are people so woke now? I mean, I, I, I'm trying to figure this out myself. I mean, I know we saw the video, but why are people so woke? Do you think this is a flash in the moment? Or do you think this is going to be something that's, like you said, a movement? I think it's a movement because it's a combination of factors. Uh, Black Lives Matter is not new. I mean, when you were talking about Black Lives Matter back when George Zimmerman walked out of that courtroom a free man, right? So we have watched and participated in the push to make Black Lives Matter in this country. This particular moment, which led to a movement, had a... It was a conflation of a number of events. When you had COVID-19, people were sheltered at home. Nobody could turn away. People couldn't say they didn't see the video because they were at work or at a restaurant or up at Martha's Vineyard. No, no, everybody saw it because we were all sheltered in place. And the brutality of the George Floyd murder which came after we saw the video of Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper, no relation. This white woman confronting a black man in Central Park and threatening to call the police, which she did. It came after we saw the video of Ahmed Aubrey, a black man out jogging in Georgia, who was stalked and killed by a father and son, these would-be vigilantes. It came after dealing with all of that and realizing that even in the midst of black COVID stories, Black Lives Matter is still an issue that we're dealing with. I think when people recognize that, and when people made the decision to come out of their homes in the midst of a global pandemic to fight 
for the rights for black folks to be free in this country. And then it began to pick up all over the world. We realized it was not just about racial equality. This is a human justice issue now about the ways in which black people have been systematically mistreated and oppressed and are denied even the right to their own humanity in this country. So it's not a moment. There are fundamental changes being played, even more than just changing Aunt Jemima or Uncle Ben's. We are seeing changes in the ways in which people are starting to question their own experience with race in this country. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and I, I will tell you that I, I have been reached out by a lot of our white allies. You know, I've, I I can relate to a lot. You talked about your son a lot, and um, I met one of your sons also actually at the children's bookstore once, and they. It's interesting because I went to private schools my whole entire life, okay? And I have, I went to Syracuse University for college. And I have a lot of good white friends. And my, one of my best people, people in my wedding was white. And a lot of people are reaching out saying, hey, what can we do? What, what can we say? What things do you, what things do you suggest for our white brothers and sisters, allies out there who want to help out? I mean, what would you say to them? I mean, because a lot of them checking their privilege at the door now. And a lot of them didn't realize that. So what are your, some of your thoughts on that? I think that a lot of white people, we're going to use the term woke. Woke always makes me laugh, right? Because woke means that. Woke means that you were asleep. And, and woke means that you're in this state now that you're ready to confront reality. My problem with, with you know, white folks being woke, it means that you're denying the work that we've already done. Like you should have been woke. I mean, the, the friends you're talking about, the white friends you have, I always question. I'm like, okay, so if you're truly a friend of mine, right? If we're really friends, then what has taken you so long to recognize the injustice in this country? Like you're reaching out now and you want to know, you know, am I okay? You want to know what you can do? A better question is what have you done? Mm. If you really are a friend, because when my friends are suffering, I'm acutely aware of their suffering. I don't wait until George Floyd, a man that I don't know, dies before I recognize, wow, maybe my black friend is struggling here. Hey, I don't have to have breast cancer, but if I have a friend who has breast cancer, then breast cancer becomes very important to me in terms of what I'm going to fund and how I'm going to support. So white folks who are just becoming woke who are just waking up and want to know how they can help their black friends. I'm like, Hey, jump on the bandwagon. What exactly are you doing to bend your privilege? Stop looking to black folks to give you answers about what to do and do the work. One of the amazing things I often say, Hey, you know what? In situations like this, this is why God made Google. So you can go online, you can get the information, and you can do the work yourself. You don't have to sit around and say, hey, help me to understand why Black people are in pain. No, don't wash my feet, which I see some white folks doing now. You know, don't bend me, bend me money, although you can do that. But don't do it if you think, well, the way I can help is I'll send $20 to the black person I know, because that'll help to relieve some of my white guilt. No, be committed to being anti-racist and do the hard work. I, I'm, about to, I'm about to start church up right now. You about to get church, about to have me doing some donations. Um, so as far as you know, you have two sons right now. You got two yeah. sons. 
When did you start having that talk with your sons? When did you say, you know, was, was, everything is going on? I know for myself, it was at a young age. It was a very young age. Uh, I want to say grade school. And like, you know, just, just, just telling my parents, my parents told me to talk. What about you and your, your family? When, when did you guys start talking? It's been an ongoing conversation. I mean, from the time my boys were very young, we talked about race. We talked about race relations. We talked about the impact of being black in this country. We amped up our conversations uh, after Trayvon Martin. We amped it up then. But it has never stopped because I don't think there's actually a hard stop point. I think if you're raising black children in America, you should always be preparing them to be better than what this society says that they are. Black children deal with a lot of issues in our country. They're not allowed to be children. And so as parents, I think part of our job is teaching them, of course, their own worth and their value, teaching them how important and significant they are, but also teaching them how to fight and teaching them how to push back. I like, I like, I like that. I like that a lot. I definitely like that. That, that, that was always continuing education. Um, you know, it's always my, my parents, I'm about to turn 40 and my parents still talk to me and say, Hey, be careful out there. Make sure you call us when you get home. And you know, and I, and I appreciate that because parents know they've gone through it and whatnot. Do you think this is going to be like, if you will, we look back in history, this will be the turning point you hope going forward as far as what's been going on. You know how we had the civil rights movement one, once upon a time. Do you think this is part two, part three, or do you think, you know, like I said, when we look back, this was a turning point for going forward. I think when we look back, we're going to see this as the moment when all the work we've been doing for years finally came together. I don't see it as a second civil rights movement um, because the civil rights movement was about, I guess, the civil rights movement was about ending legalized segregation in this country. That movement worked. They were successful in their effort. Uh, what we're doing today is we are pushing that banner to the next level. That is what we're doing. We are taking the work that our ancestors have already done and we're building on it. And so it's not new. It's not a second. It's just the next layer in fighting for freedom and justice in this country. And I think the history books will record how this nation on one level, very, very general, very specifically, but in general, how the country came together, how the world came together for the movement for Black Lives. Now, like I said, we, we're, everybody has their issues going on all over the country right now. We have protests everywhere in every state, all, all over the world. And, you know, what are your thoughts as far as, you know, your, what do your, what do your audience say from the radio show? Are, are they, are they happy? Are they happy for what the young kids are doing right now and making that push and pushing the boundaries and, you know, standing up to justice right now? Or, I mean, what's, what, what has your reception been from your audience, from your show? Well, as, as I wrap up my interview with you, and I really appreciated having the opportunity to speak with you, uh, I do know that people are excited, uh, people are nervous, people are unsure, some people are frightened. Change is hard but change is necessary. And part of the work that we need to do is we need to make sure that the change that we are fighting for is the change that we want to see. Sometimes when we're dealing with you know, oppressive situations, you take the change they're giving you instead of the change that you are demanding. And so my hope is that we are aware that just because we're hungry, 
We don't have to eat every crumb that they're giving us. We can demand the food that we're going to eat because now that the country is woke, to use your terminology, (laughs) now that the world is woke, to use that terminology, why don't we take this wokeness as a moment leading to a movement to bring about the fundamental change for freedom and justice for Black folks in this country, setting up the world that the children of our children will be able to live free and roam free, and they don't have to have the same type of battle again. Hey, I thank you, Dr. K, for taking time out your day to come on the, on the No Picks of the Dark podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure again for you to come on, and hopefully we can have you on again. Um, I know things are just hectic right now, and I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much. I would love to come back. Thank you so much.